Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, draw near to us. Fill us with your Spirit that our hearts and our minds might be renewed and plant your Word deep within us. Grant us knowledge of your truth and grant that all that we do this day would be pleasing to you for the sake of your Son, that all that we do is in Him and by Him and with Him. That without Him, we cannot please you, O Lord. So be with us that Jesus might be with us and guide us ever nearer to yourself. And it is through that same Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So I'm changing things up a little bit. Usually I've been focused on the Gospels, on the Gospel lesson and occasionally being able to relate it to some of our other readings. But I want to spend a little time in 2 Corinthians and go through some of the epistles from our lectionary readings this summer, just to change things up, to get us to think a little more, to think a little differently about how we're approaching Scripture, to spend some time thinking about directly what Paul says so often, what John says in his epistles, or what James might say to us. To draw near and to hear what the Lord is doing, and how He taught His apostles and led His apostles to teach the church. And so we're going to spend some time with Paul today. We're going to spend some time hearing from him about his struggles, about his apostolic ministry, about his calling to love and serve the church, even when the church hated him, even when the church was pushing him away, even when the church wanted other glorious, famous apostles. They wanted super apostles, Paul will go on to say, of which he is not. But yet Paul knows that he is an apostle of the Lord. He knows that he has been called and he knows that the Lord is at work. And seeing and hearing Paul's words, I hope that we will walk away from our wants wants for a moment. And that through walking away, we might better understand what it is that we want. I've spent some time reading C.S. Lewis's sermon, The Weight of Glory, this week for apparent reasons. There in verse 17, Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Of course, that brings to mind Lewis's sermon, The Weight of Glory, where he discusses our desires, where he discusses how God is working in us and how Scripture is calling out to us to reconsider our desires, to reconsider our wants, our feelings, to be renewed by who Jesus is. And honestly, in reading through this sermon, I don't realize how often I actually indirectly reference and quote this sermon. It has so many good nuggets in it, and so many times it's been quoted by other people that I just kind of absorbed the language. But one of the things that Lewis said that really caught my attention is exactly what I want to talk about today. He said, by ceasing for a moment to consider my own wants, I have begun to learn better what I really wanted. Reading that made me think of something that Nate had said years ago at Christmas, and I've quoted it before. He was thinking about all of his Christmas presents he had gotten that year, and he had said, you know, I didn't really get anything that was on my Christmas list, but I got everything that I really wanted and didn't know I wanted. (laughs) That he could find joy in getting things that he wasn't expecting that he realized that regardless of what was on his Christmas list, 
These things that he did receive were actually more joyful, more desirous, better than what he had ever asked for. And I think that's what C.S. Lewis is getting at here a little bit, is that ceasing to not consider my wants, we begin to learn better what we really want. That means we have to stop and look inside to stop and consider what it is we really want. Earlier in that sermon, Lewis said that we are like children living in a slum making mud pies, unable to realize what a vacation by the sea is really like, what a holiday at the sea is truly like. We always think of ourselves as being too desirous, and yet we never consider that we're not desirous enough because we are so easily pleased with earthly pleasures. That these earthly pleasures blind us to what we really need until they are stripped away. And for Paul, they had been stripped away. If you read through the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he is talking about the suffering that he has endured for the sake of Christ. And he homes in that especially here in chapter 4. In verses 7 through 11, for our context, for seeing what is happening and what Paul is talking about, he says that he and his fellow ministers are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul is suffering and he's been afflicted, but no matter what, Because he has a treasure. He has Christ himself. He has the power of Christ living in him. The very God who has said, let light shine out of the darkness, has given light in Paul. And so Paul is drawing near to Jesus. He is being stripped away. Everything is being stripped away so that he will have faith, so that he will move forward. And we see in verses 13 and 14, following up on Paul's words there in 7 through 11, that there is faith through suffering. Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. There in verse 13, Paul packs in a huge amount for us to hear about faith through suffering. He says, we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. My Bible doesn't have a reference for where that comes from. So I had to look it up. I had to do a search to be like, where is he quoting this from from Scripture? I had to get a reference Bible, which marks it. And it's from Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is a wonderful psalm. It's only quoted a couple of other times in Scripture or in the New Testament. And here this psalm, The psalmist is recalling a time of great suffering, a a time of great affliction, a time of great destitution in his life. He says at the beginning of the psalm, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He'll go on to say that the snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. When I was brought low, the Lord saved me. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And then in verse 10, what Paul says, I believed and so I spoke. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Paul quotes that one little phrase, I believed and I spoke. 
to draw our attention all the way back to all of Psalm 116 to see how this psalmist is enduring suffering and shame. He's enduring the assaults of mankind on himself and against himself. And he's at the end of all things. But being at the end of all things, he cries out. He cries out, O God, save me. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And the Lord hears him. The Lord responds. And likewise for Paul too. He has that same spirit of faith to trust, to call out, to look to the promises of God, to know the promises of God are to come and save His people, are to come and restore His people, to come and take away from them the snares of death, to take away from them the pangs of Sheol, to take away from them the distress and the anguish, to turn our eyes to the Lord. For when our eyes remain focused on the suffering and the struggles and the anguish, we become blind to the reality of what God is doing. We become concerned with those struggles. And we don't think to pray, O Lord, deliver my soul. But Paul with the psalmist has that same spirit of faith. I believed and so I spoke. And so out of that suffering, out of that affliction, he expresses his faith. And he says that we also believe and so we also speak. And he goes on to say in verse 14, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. There is the promise that Paul clings to. There is the promise he looks to. He believes and so he speaks of Jesus. He speaks of God, the Father who raised Jesus. And in Jesus being raised, He too will be raised. He will be lifted up out of this life Though he will die, though physically his body will give way to death itself, he knows that he has been united to Christ and that Christ has been risen from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has been raised, we too will be raised. Jesus was raised physically and therefore Paul too knows that he will physically rise from the dead and be brought up into the presence of the Father. The psalmist says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Paul likewise has given up his whole life to the Lord. He has received the call of apostleship. He has received the call to go out into all the world and to proclaim who Jesus is. And so Paul says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits, for all the salvation, for all the goodness, all the grace, all the greatness of who God is being poured upon me, Paul asks. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will lift up the salvation that the Lord has given and I will call on the name of the Lord. My life will be focused. My life will be drawn around. My life will be about who Jesus is now, Paul says. And he knows who the Jesus is. He has encountered Him. He has met Him. He knows His presence within. He knows the word of the other apostles, for He has met them at this point. He has heard of their faith, of them having seen Him face to face right after His resurrection, before His ascension. Paul saw Jesus after His ascension. In that glorious vision on the road to Damascus. But that is not the only thing that undergirds Paul's words here, seeing Jesus there. He knows the other apostles and he listens to their word. He hears their word as authoritative in his own life, knowing that they have witnessed Jesus being raised from the dead. They have worshipped Him. 
They have heard the very words of Jesus in their own ears before His ascension. And so He draws near based on the promises of the Lord here. That even through suffering He has faith. For even we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, Paul says. That His suffering that gives Him faith is also a suffering that gives faith to others. His suffering is leading to His death so that life will be in Him, the life of Jesus. That is what He is focused on, dying to Himself that Jesus might live in Him more and more. And embracing that death in His own life, He knows that by dying to Himself, there will be life in others too. That His death to self means others gaining life for the sake of Jesus. And that brings us to the second part in this passage. That there is faith through blessing, faith through promise. Again, focusing in on 14, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. That reminds me of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, where he basically says, if Jesus isn't raised, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we are most to be pitied. But he also says, if Jesus is raised, then we too will be raised. Paul rests solely on that reality. Paul rests solely in the reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if Jesus has been raised, we too, he says, will be raised. He says the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. The Father will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you, the Corinthians, into his presence. Not only is Paul united to Jesus, and not only will Paul and his co-workers be raised up with Jesus at the end, and not only will they be brought into the presence of the Father, but the Corinthians too will be brought with Him. For He is their Father in Jesus. He is their Father, the one who has led them into this blessing of faith, who has led them into the promises, who has told of them Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus went to the cross to die for their sins, to remove from the presence of of the Father's face, their sinfulness. To take upon Himself, Jesus takes our judgment. Paul has taught the Corinthians this, but yet, on the third day, Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is renewed. Jesus is glorified in His resurrection. And so we too will receive that glory. We too will be raised, Paul says. We too will be blessed through faith in Jesus as will the Corinthians. The Corinthians will be carried into the presence of the Father alongside Paul and his co-workers in Jesus, to be raised up with Jesus, to be renewed with Jesus. That Paul's suffering has led to their faith. Paul's suffering and death to himself has led to the life of Jesus being in them. That though death has been overtaken, though death has overtaken Paul, Death itself has been undone by Jesus so that life would be in us. And while death is at work in Paul, life is at work in us because of Paul's suffering. Because Paul had faith in the blessings and the promises of God. And he says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. All of Paul's focus is the Corinthians are the people he's been called to minister to. 
St. Paul desires for them to know the life of Jesus. And so he is willing to die, willing to endure suffering and shame and affliction no matter what. He's willing to carry the body of death in himself so that the life of Jesus would be manifested in him. And if it's manifested in him, it will be manifested in others. And so he is willing to die and to suffer for their sake. To endure shame for them. So that grace would extend to more and more people. As Paul finds his soul rest in God. As Paul sets aside his wants in order to discover the deeper want. Which is to love and serve God. That grace extends more and more to others. Which brings about thanksgiving. As more and more people come to faith in Jesus, it results in thanksgiving. First and foremost, for the forgiveness of our sins. But also through that renewal that comes with that very forgiveness. We respond to God's graciousness in Jesus with thanksgiving. Which Paul says results in the glory of God. It results in God being more and more known by others. His greatness is declared through our thanksgiving. And that leads to His being known as he extends grace to them. Thus he becomes more known as he is and who is our Father. He is the gracious God who through Jesus has come into the world to renew all things, even us sinners. More so, first and foremost, us sinners, in fact. For remember, Paul says in Romans 8 that the world groans in the travails of sin and that it's waiting for the revealing of the children of God. Yes, creation groans because of the sin of Adam and Eve. The ground became cursed because of Adam. But those groans are in hope of revelation of the saved. The creation groans looking forward to the renewal of all things, first and foremost to the revealing of the children of God. It looks for God revealing redemption and salvation to humanity and humanity turning in faith toward Him. Creation will be renewed and all things look first for the salvation that is, for humanity, for it to be revealed. It is a great and glorious salvation and it leads to the Father being known by Jesus, by the Spirit applying that knowledge of the Father and the work of Jesus to us people. And that brings glory, that brings fame, that brings the knowledge of God to others. And lastly, here at the end of chapter 4, All of that put together, Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Here Paul reveals the faith through the unseen. That he sees his outer being wasting away. He sees his outer self being killed and put to death. He sees his outer self dying daily, more and more. But what does he say? We do not lose heart because he has faith through the unseen. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul is not saying that our physical body is being gotten rid of so that some spiritual inner part can be renewed. This isn't about the physical versus the spiritual, but it's about the old world versus the new world. The old creation versus new creation. The old self versus the new self. The old man versus the new man. The broken world versus the healed world. That what we see with our eyes all around us, this physical world, is a brokenness. We look in the mirror and we see a brokenness of sin in us. But that brokenness is being destroyed 
little by little, more and more. That outer self, that old man that is affected by sin is being put to death more and more as we look to Jesus, as we look to the reality of Him being raised. And in Him being raised, our being raised and renewed. Such that the new man, the inner self, the new self will be lifted up and renewed more and more. The suffering of this world strips away that old self. The suffering of this world as we look at it with faith means that we are being drawn near to Jesus. Afflictions aren't intended to drive us from God. They are intended to drive us into the arms of the Father. They are intended to drive us closer to Jesus to cause us to recognize that our bodies are afflicted and infected by sin. But Jesus changes us. Jesus renews us. And that while that old body of death is being stripped away, there is a new body of life being raised up. And that will be raised up in the resurrection of the dead. And what is all of this for? How does Paul think of these afflictions? He calls them light momentary afflictions. Other translations says that this, these afflictions are but trifling moments. But they are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We come back to glory as we just heard. Our thanksgiving leads to the glory of God. It leads to Him being more known. And that is what this weight of glory that we are receiving is. The deepest desire of our being is to know and to be known. That all these pleasures all around us blind us to the reality that there is a need within to not just know another, but to be known by another. To be rejoiced in, to be praised by, to be received by, to be loved by. All of the afflictions of this world are nothing in comparison to the weight of glory, that fame that we will receive from the Father. Again, that was the whole point of Lewis's sermon was to drive us to the reality of the weight of glory. That fame of the Father looking at us and saying, Well done, you good and faithful servant. For the creature to receive praise and honor from the Creator. That is the glory that we will receive. Imagine that weight, the fullness of glory, the fullness of fame, the fullness of God's praising us. It's a burden that we bear that comes from the future into the present, but it's a glorious, beautiful burden. It's like the burden of being a parent, a burden of being a father, a burden of being a father, of a mother. Yes, it's hard, but the outcome is expressing and pouring yourself out for another and knowing another and letting that other know that they are known. Burdens aren't bad. Burdens are good things for they direct our path toward an end goal. And here the end goal is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, beyond all things, beyond all understanding that is incomparable to anything we know. We can talk about the reality of God looking at us and saying, you are known by me. I know you and I love you. I am pleased with you in Christ. We can talk about it, but we don't understand the fullness of what that means this side of eternity until we come face to face with that glorious Father who in Christ has redeemed us and He looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Lewis says, some might not like this sense of just being patted on the back by God, but think. Isn't that the most glorious thing that the Creator can do to the creature? Is to receive that creature into His presence and say, you have done what I called you to do. Just as we praise and a loved pet for doing what we call it to do. Just as we praise our children for doing what we call them to do. Just as an employer praises his employees for doing what he has called them to do, the Father will look at us and say, well done. You have done what I called you to do. You have received my grace that you would be changed into who I desired you to be. You will be made one with me and one with Jesus and you will know me for eternity. We will be known by God. And that is the greatest and most glorious gift that can be given. That is the eternal weight of glory that we will receive is to be known by God. And that Paul looks toward. We do not look at things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. He doesn't look at the afflictions, but he looks at the glory that is to come. He looks at the glory of knowing God and even more so being known by God. Because the things that are seen are transient, they are temporary, they do not last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That which we can see with our eyes is transient. But once more, Lewis reminds us that though we see one another, we are not seeing transient beings. Nature is transient. Culture is transient. Art, politics is all transient. It's all temporary. It will all be undone in the end when the renewal of all things comes. But every time, Lewis says, we interact with another person, we are, in act, we are interacting with an immortal being. We are interacting with one who will be given immortality, either immortality that is in the glory of the Father or immortality that leads to horrors we can't imagine. Every person we encounter is either someone that we would fall down and worship if we saw them in their glorified state or someone that we would run shrieking in horror from if we saw them in the eternal damnation that comes to those who don't know Jesus, to those who reject God's grace. And so we bear glory for them. We look to them and we look at them and we remind them of the truth of the reality of what is to come. That we are interacting with those who will be either blessed by God or forgotten by God. They will be known or they will be forgotten. And so what do we do when we meet people? We respond with the love of Jesus. We respond by reminding them of who they are in the Father, in Jesus, that they are called into grace. They are called into the presence of the Father to know Him and to be known by Him. And so on one hand, Paul is not looking at the glory that he will receive. He's not being driven by the reality of he will be told, well done, good and faithful servant. But he is being driven by the reality that others will be called good and faithful servants. He is being driven by the reality that they are called to the Father as he has been called. And so he is concerned with them coming to bear that beautiful and eternal glory. He is concerned with them being known by God in Jesus. That is why Paul looks beyond himself. He looks beyond the afflictions. He looks beyond all things and sees that weight of glory that is being placed upon those that he ministers to. And that causes him to pour himself out more and more for their sake. 
It causes him to reach out to them even when they hate him, even when they despise him, even when they have rejected him. And said, these other guys who've come into Corinth are so much better than you, Paul. But Paul says, it doesn't matter. I am the one who loves you. I am the one who is being poured out into death for your sake. And we are called toward that ourselves in all of our vocations, in all of our relationships, in our lives to pour ourselves out for others. To not be so concerned with the glory that we are going to be receiving, but to be concerned with the glory that others may receive. To let the glory that God has promised to the people who turn to Him drive us to help them receive that glory, to help them receive those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we walk in this world as ones who seek to make others know that they can be known by the Father. We walk as ones who reveal Jesus to others so they too would know that they will be known by the Creator. That they will be known by their Creator in joy because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. We walk in order that they would be brought to know this Father. And in knowing this Father, they will discover that He knows them. That He not only knows them, but He knows them deeply in Jesus. And He rejoices over them in Jesus. For Jesus has died and removed their sins. Jesus has been raised that they might be raised too. Jesus has come and brought redemption that we all might turn in faith toward Jesus and know the love of the Father in Jesus for us. And so let us go out rejoicing that we have Jesus and that Jesus has given us a calling to make Him known. A calling to reveal the weight of glory of being known by the Father. Of the Father looking and saying, Well done, you good and faithful servant, that we are called to make that known to others, that they can receive that gift. And that gift is in Jesus alone as we turn and receive from Him His forgiveness and His renewal. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.